0: Okay, I told you last week that we were going to finish up with the topic or the doctrine of God's sovereignty, and I changed my mind, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, and when, I'm going to go in a little different direction, I think, for as we finish up this class. So turn one more time to Exodus 34, that's where we're going to begin, but we won't stay here. This is, of course, what we've been looking at for a number of weeks, and we'll get to it in just a minute. Let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless our time. Father, we come before you and uh, we praise you for who you are. We thank you for um, revealing yourself to us. We thank you that You have worked in us in such a way that we open the Bible and believe it comes from you. And we see the glory of Christ on its pages. We trust in him. And we praise you for that because we know that this is your work of grace to us and in us. And now tonight, Father, I'm asking that you would work in us hearts of worship and adoration and love for you that will have impacts not just in how we feel on a daily basis but also in how we live. And we confess that the world oftentimes can cloud our vision of your glory and uh, drowned out the blessings of being enthralled with you. And so we pray that you would do really special things tonight as we uh, look at these topics and and as we look at you. I pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, I think what we're going to do tonight is we are going to come on in. Come join us. Um, We're going to uh, talk about worship, and by that I don't mean the musical portion of a service on a Sunday morning or some kind of Christian music concert we go to for worship. I'm talking about... Biblically true worship of God from the heart, praise, adoration, blessing of God, thankfulness, contentment in Him, love for Him, that's worship. It manifests itself in things like singing, this is true, Uh, manifests itself actually in many different ways in our lives, but I'm talking about the heart that looks at God and adores him or is awestruck with him uh, or properly fears him as as the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord. So I think that's a good way to end what we've been talking about this year in our doctrine of God and studying about some of his attributes because as we've mentioned before, but it's been a while, all revelation from God to us all theology, all doctrine, all Bible reading, every sermon, Sunday night lesson, all of this has the in, intent or should be the intent to create within us worship of God. If we don't have that, if the response isn't worship, it's really wasted. Um, and it's God's design in all his revelation. to to create within us responses of worship. I want to show you this in Exodus 34, right? So we spent a lot of time just going through this in verses uh, 6 through 7. We wrapped that up last week of God's sermon about himself to Moses and all his attributes, and the response of Moses here, I think, is more, in verse A, is more than informational. In other words, it's not just a side note of information for us on what happened in the order of events. I actually think it's instructional for us. So it's a teaching thing of how Moses responds to the revelation of God. Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Really, it's uh, the language is that of a bowing and a laying down of, you know, prostrate on the ground and before God in humility and worship is the idea. He was did this quickly as God, the Lord, preached this sermon about Himself to him. His response was quickly bowing his head toward the earth and worshipped. All revelation from God is to be or to inspire worship in his people. The proper response, in other words, is what I'm trying to say. The proper response of the revelation of God to us is worship. And we're seeing that in the case of Moses. I was... Brought to, uh, let me have you look at Isaiah 55 for a minute. This was just something I just read a few minutes ago, and I can't take credit for it, but I was referencing in a book uh, by Paul Tripp. I was just looking something up in there and came across this section. He's talking about Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 was a passage that uh, in the seminary I attended, you had to memorize in one of the classes um, and the, and the professor's heart was really to, uh, in that class to get, to, to have, to create men that aren't just, uh, you know, theologically astute, um, or right in their doctrine, but to have the right heart for God. And one of the passages he used in order to do that was Isaiah 55. And it was one of the things for semester, but he makes this, uh, The author I was reading, Paul Tripp, brings this out uh, in verse 10. This is a well-known verse probably to most of us Bible people, right? For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth... It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And he made the observation that he heard a lot of messages about this, those verses. And they usually stop there. And there's not a lot of explanation about what is the purpose for which he sent his word. Uh, what is it that, that is the result of this that will succeed And he says the answer to that really is in verses 12 and 13. I think he's right. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What is verse 12 describing? Worship, right? The word goes out. The response is worship. then in verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, shall come up the myrtle. Which is an interesting statement. You know, if you had a thorn bushes in your backyard growing and rain waters those and, and uh, in that they're going to grow, what are they going to be as they grow? Thorn bushes, right? But what he's saying is there's change that happens. Like in other words, the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar, shall come up the myrtle. It's an interesting statement, what is the purpose of the Word of God? Worship in transformation of His people. This is what the Word of God succeeds in. The Word of God goes forth and it results in the worship of His people, from His people, and it results in transformation of His people. So, The idea is that, and the reason I'm bringing this out and had to really think about this today or it was on my heart, is the idea is that as we study about God and we study about the doctrine of God, there is great danger, and always, especially in our conservative circles, of being people that are just um, maybe infatuated with knowledge or being right or having truth and we miss completely... The God of that truth in that knowledge, which is what the revelation of God is supposed to be for us, okay? That when we are approaching anything, and this gets right practical, right down to your daily devotional life, okay, when you get up in the morning or whenever you're, you're going to do your time now with the Lord and you're going to read Bible, what is your desire out of that? Or if you're going to study something, what is your, I mean, your real heart's desire? Is it just to have information, right? There are seminary professors uh, and seminaries with doctorates who know more about certain biblical topics than everybody in this room combined, but whose hearts are completely void of worship of God. They probably don't even know him in truth. There's a danger in it, actually. That our hearts, what we want in any doctrine of God class or any time we're in the Word, revelation is to be responded to with worship from our hearts. So that in those times, even of our private devotion, it's not necessarily a feeling you're going for. That's not what I'm saying. That will come and go. But there is to be a response of praise of what we'll maybe talk about if we have time, of doxology, right? Praise to God, the fruit of the lips, which is what he's looking for that comes from the heart of a person that is in love with him, okay? So what is the purpose of any theology, any doctrine? What is the purpose of our time in God's word? Is the worship of is the worship of God. From his people to God, we bow down and worship. Now, let me show you another passage, uh, Job chapter 1. And this is interesting because here you're going to have very similar language to what you see in Exodus 34, aren't you? Very similar language uh, in in Job's uh, response to God here in what Job does with God. And I, I love this, and I thought I would bring it out because it's very important. Moses had a mountaintop experience, right, in his encounter with the Lord. Quite literally, a mountaintop experience. But here you have in Job 1, we're pretty familiar with it. Job loses all his property and his children. Devastating. Very quickly happens. In verse 20, Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshiped. It's almost the same language. Very similar to what you're seeing in the mountaintop experience. Naked I came from my mother's womb, he says. Naked shall I return. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. In other words, uh, worship to God from his people is not just in the mountaintops experiences or the special worship services that we might have but it is in all events of our lives and as things happen we respond with worship right this is a pa- this is more than informational this is instructional this is God showing us how we respond in every area of life so there's not a time in which the worship of God is not appropriate you might say, well, the worship of God is very appropriate in a, a, as a sermon was just preached or as I'm studying the Bible or studying the Word or learning doctrine, that's an appropriate time. But man, when I just lost all my children and I lost all my belongings and everything was taken away from me, now this is not an appropriate time. But what we're seeing is there is no inappropriate time. In the good and the bad, doesn't matter what has happened. Our response as God's people, is one of, of worship. Aaron, yes. Not too long ago was the year anniversary of Jonathan's death. And one of the individuals that was present when he died actually did CPR on him. Mm-hmm. The very next day he said, I think we need to meet at the trailhead. And, and I've held on to this since. He said we need to have solemn worship. Yeah, right. I, Which is the appropriate response. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, but that's a heart. But two, we we need to understand, right? That's a heart that shows the grace of God working in it. You know, it is interesting. Some people will worship God. Some professing Christians will worship God when things are great, <laughs> or they they're claiming to worship God. But when terrible things happen, that's where the that's where the rubber meets the road. Right? That's where it's. We're the true worshipers of God now when everything is removed. And notice, we know that behind the scenes, in this passage in Job, we know what the devil was doing and all that. Job had no idea. And what did he say? He attributed, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. In other words, his theology was correct in the fact that God is sovereign. And in his sovereignty, he providentially governs everything that happens to us. The fact that the the devil was at play in it is irrelevant to Job. He understood that what has just occurred has come from the sovereign hand of the Lord. Now the Lord, we didn't get to this this year, but thinking about the doctrine of God and how God uses secondary causes to accomplish his purpose, and so does God have uh, purposes in, in this world and in, the, you know, in history that would include people's sin and atrocities and horrible things? Yes, he does. These are all part of his eternal decree. He uses the devil to accomplish these purposes because you, God cannot sin, But it's part of that eternal decree within it. In understanding that then, we can say whatever hits us, happens to us, we can say with Job, ultimately this came from the hand of the Lord. Whether the devil was involved in this, or demonic forces were involved in this as well, God's sovereignty was in control of this. It wouldn't have happened if God did not want it to happen. Right? And so in every circumstance, the good and the bad, the proper response of the people of God is worship, okay? That's very important. Very important principle. Now, any any thoughts on that, any questions or that? Where we're at? Okay. Yeah, Dave. Statement I read one time, and I think it probably goes along with that. It's a difficult statement to absorb. Your sin is never God's will. Someone else's sin in your life is God's will for you. Hmm. He allows it into your life for you to respond to, like he did to Job. Yeah. Yeah, and it's you know, it's interesting, again, like I, I had planned to go into the sovereignty of God and the will of God and the decree of God versus the moral will of God. And uh, some of that gets a little nuanced and tricky, I admit. You sit there and try to think about that, uh, you know, um, God's eternal decree as an example. I'll give you an example. God's eternal decree is that Adam fell into sin. Now, God's moral will is opposed to sin. He does not want sin. He does not tempt anybody to sin or make anybody sin directly. But his eternal decree is that Adam would fall. And Natalie and I were just talking about this earlier because it came up in children's church this morning as Natalie was teaching. And of course, the kids start wrestling with that whole concept of uh, why did God put, you know, kids start asking questions like if God knew Adam was gonna fall into sin, right? Why did he put him in the garden? And people try to come up with answers to that. Well, you know. God wanted to give Adam a choice, you know, because God wanted to see what Adam would do or something like that. No. God's eternal decree, we find this out in Ephesians chapter 1, was actually to eternally be praised for his glorious grace. And the only way in which God's grace can be glorified was through the fall of mankind. Now we can come up with all sorts of things in our minds immediately and we're like wow, I don't know if all of the implications of that that I'm comfortable with. But when we think about things like that, we have to then go to other aspects of God's character that we know about and we have to trust him when he says things like this. When when the when I think it's in Daniel. Uh it says that all that he does is right. Period at the end. And you can't charge him with wrong. You see what I'm saying? And none can stay his hand. Remember, he made Nebuchadnezzar say this. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? You see, it's all right and it's just and he's sovereign. See, an understanding like that then, we we will be like Job and when bad things happen to us, we won't charge God with wrong because we know that all that he does is right. And amazingly too, you see in the New Testament how much, this is why it's so important to spend time studying what those New Testament authors talk about with trials. Why is this happening to me? I don't understand why this is happening to me. Well, he's told you why it's happening to you. He's working in you good. He's working this together for your eternal good and his eternal glory. He's conforming you to the image of his son, you see. He's growing in you the things you need so desperately endurance, right? And character and hope. Yeah, Raphael. Yeah, go for it. The first chapter of Job is a great little glimpse that God reveals Yes. right i mean you can see his purposes yes a little behind the scenes yeah and later on james when james writes his letter he'll say something to the effect you've seen the patience of job and then he makes a comment about how god is gracious and merciful wasn't that james am i quoting that right anybody know that how, in other words one of the main stories uh, that or one of the main ideas that come out of the book of job is in the end job through patience is restored and Look at God's mercy and grace and all of that. So so you turned into sovereignty. I wasn't totally off. We talked a little, we're talking a little bit about sovereignty and God's will. all right? But no matter what, uh, we are, to, we are worshipers of God. This aspect of us being worshipers of God is actually it's what sets us apart from everyone else in the world. Everyone's a worshiper. The question is, what do they worship? And Christian people, God's people, what sets us apart uniquely is that we worship this God. Okay? Now, I'll show you this. I want you to see this in Romans chapter 1. Remember, revelation is given by God. So when we talked about, we've talked about revelation before, there's, um, there's God's uh, written word, that's his revelation. Uh, God revealed himself in his son Jesus, the incarnate word. That's revelation. But there's also creation. Remember we called creation general revelation. And we're supposed to look at creation itself and be like, there's a God, right? And that's the natural instinct, actually, of every human being. But notice what he says in Romans 1 and um, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that are made. Right there's revelation. God's revealing Himself in creation, right? So, creation's there. God's invisible presence is clear in it, right? In what we see, that He has made this so they are without excuse now what is the proper response of the human being to revelation what should be the right response worship right it's always the purpose of revelation okay is that the person would respond in worship even if even if if you're reading in one of the prophets of the old testament and that prophet is uh by God through that prophet is laying into the people of Israel. You're sinning, you're sinning. Stop this, stop this. The intent of that revelation is that they hear it and they turn from their sin and idolatry and begin to worship. So always God's revelation, whether it's in general revelation, specific revelation, is always that people would Turn and worship the one true God, okay? So here's the problem, though. Humanity sees creation, and they knew God, verse 21. But listen this. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So instead of responding with honoring God, they... Their foolish hearts were darkened. They didn't. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What did they do with the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things? They worshiped them, right? So here they had the glory of this God before their eyes eyes, so to speak, in his revelation, and they, instead of worshiping him, turned and worshiped other things. Interestingly, when we were studying in Exodus 34, who else, who was guilty of doing that in Exodus 32, 3, and 4? Israel, right? Yeah, and under the leadership of Aaron, they had all this revelation of God, uh, and they instead choose something, they Make an image of something he's made, right? Therefore God gave them up in the, in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who's blessed forever, amen. Uh, instead of this glorious God in worshiping him, they exchanged his glory over for His creation they would rather have the creation than the God of the creation okay that is the natural condition of the human heart you may not have you may not realize this about yourself some of you maybe you were saved as just little kids and by God's grace in your life, you have been kept from some really bad things or um, living out in the world or living in sin or all, and you just don't, you, you, but you need to see that the natural condition of your heart was one that would rather have the things God made and actually worship those things than the God who made him. This is why we should have, right? We've talked about this before. We should have no problem with the wrath of God being revealed. We should have no problem with that at all. It shouldn't, we shouldn't wrestle with it. We shouldn't be like, wow, I, I just don't understand why he's wrathful. Here he's revealing himself in all his glory, offering himself to his creation, and they reject him. They know him. They suppress the truth about him. That's our human hearts. But see, what has changed for us is that now God has worked in our hearts in such a way that we don't want to do that, right? We want God. And we worship God, whether it is out in creation and we see what he's made. What does he want us to do when we see something like that? He wants us to worship. He wants us to pause and praise him for it and thank him for it. Or we sit down before a meal And I'm guilty of this because I get hangry. Anybody in here get hangry if you don't eat? You're a bear. I'm a bear sometimes. I'm like, I got to eat. And Natalie kept me till almost two this afternoon before I got food into my system. No, I'm not blaming my wife. I'm kidding. But what's that? I know I'm a growing boy. I need my sustenance. My mom told her that. Wasn't my mom told you that once or my dad? (laughs) <laughs> He's a growing boy. He needs his food. But anyway, my mom, bless her heart. That's awesome. That's a mom. You're going to do that with Wyatt, and you know it, and his wife. Have you fed Wyatt today? He's a growing boy. Um. Anyway, where were we? Oh, yes, eating. You sit down to a meal. You're about to eat. And sometimes thanking God for that, if you're really hungry or you're not feeling it can be, feel like a chore. Well, that's not the right heart, is it? Maybe as Christians we become more thoughtful. We're the worshipers of God. I can worship God right now before I eat this meal by pausing and acknowledging it comes from Him, thanking Him for it, praising Him for it, little things like that. It's not always in the big things, it's in the little things. We are the people now who worship God So the core problem with the human heart, friends, is a worship problem. And even after we become Christians and God makes our hearts worshiping hearts, could we not admit and see that at times our core problem is still a worship problem? You can have somebody, and we all have our besetting sins. We have a besetting sin that just seems to hook us every time. Did you know that our problem is not that sin? That is a worship problem. In that moment, you're choosing. Who are you going to worship right now? Who are you going to obey right now? Right? Everything we're learning in Romans 6 Romans 7, are you going to obey right now? That's a worship problem. And this is why Paul uses language in Romans 6, right? About present your members of your body. Now to God and to righteousness. What is that presenting language to the Jew? It's sacrificial language. It's language of worship. He'll do it. In Romans 12, 1, when he says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual or reasonable worship or service. You give yourself entirely over to God. Our problem, our core problem can be a worship problem. And I can tell you uh, that when we start slipping into... Uh, coldness in our heart. We start slipping into bad patterns in our life. We start seeking out uh, uh, numbing agents and other things, whether it be entertainment or or other things that are out there, and we start numbing ourselves with it. What What we're showing is our need to worship, and what we're also revealing is that we're not worshiping God as we ought. We've lost our our vision of God, if you will. We've lost sight of His glory and then everything gets messed up. Our relationships get messed up. Our uh, ministries can get messed up. Everything gets messed up, then we lose focus because worship isn't our primary uh, response. You see how that happens? And then we get sidetracked and we try to pursue it and sometimes we think, well, if I just... Change my situation, then things will be okay, or whatever else it is. If, if I could just get rid of this person out of my life, then it'd be okay. None of that is the issue, friends. It is our worship, is the issue. Where well, our hearts are no longer enthralled with the glory of God. This happens. I never thought it would happen in pastoral ministry. But I'll tell you, in 12 years, almost 12 years now, of for this church consistently studying my Bible week upon week upon week and preparing sermons, I can tell you sometimes I lose that enthralling worship I used to have when I used to study my Bible. (laughs) It's easy to lose it. It's easy to lose it, to lose sight of God's glory, to get our minds on lesser things. This is why we always need to is understanding that we are a people of worship, one of the first things we need to do every day is set our hearts on God in worship. And I think for most people, I'm telling you, most people, those early morning minutes, or maybe that first hour, that needs to be given in devotion. What do we call it? Why do we call it devotion Our Devos. Was devotion? What is devotion? It's a form of worship, right? Or it's a subset of worship. It's worshiping God. It's the idea that we are getting our hearts aligned in worship of God and then whatever you have to face that day, right? Whatever you have to face that day takes on a new perspective. There is a lot of truth in the psalm that says... uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in His wonderful face, and listen, the, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of His glory and grace. You see what I mean? It's almost like our worship time, our private time in the morning needs to become a battleground to some degree of a fight for our, our heart of worship and our reorientation to God so that we can walk out with a heart of worship and be a worshiping people then through the day and even in how we interact with other people and no matter what we're going to confront in that day? I mean, would we be prepared as Job? It was a God-worshiping man. So when catastrophe hit this man, he knew exactly how to respond, right? We prepared in that way. We need to maintain our worship of God. Of God, and that is really going to affect all other things in our lives. We lose focus of that. We lose focus of God's glory. We lose that reverential awe that Moses had. The moment that was done, he had quickly bowed his face to the ground and worshipped the Lord. We lose that, and that's when I think we go awry. That makes sense. Okay. Any questions or comments on that? Probably going to wrap it up with that. Aaron, yeah. I've grown to love what John ends his first letter with, with thinking of what you're talking yep, about. Yep, yep. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. That's right. Isn't that interesting? It's so profound. Yeah. To the whole Bible. Right. And it just, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Our hearts are wired to worship, and they're going to seek worship somewhere. They're going to seek the satisfaction of worship. It is; it's satisfying, it's joy-inducing, and it's and that. But when we when it's when the focal point of our worship isn't um, isn't God, if He's not the one we're worshiping, and we then we begin looking for it in the things He gave us. Some of them very good things, and we begin worshiping the creation rather than the Creator. Right. Good. All right. Well, one more week, guys, and next week we're going to look, I think. Well, never mind. I'm not going to tell you. Just show up. I'll decide. I always tell people and then they show up ready for one thing and you get another, okay? So let's pray. Father, thank you so much. I I thank you for these people that have come tonight, that they all have a heart to know you and to worship you as they ought, and um, I just thank you for them. I pray that as Each one goes about this week, Lord, that as they have now sovereignly been in this room and talked about worshiping you, that your spirit would bring this to remembrance and that they would enjoy you this week, that they would delight in you, no matter what's happening in their lives. Uh, May we, each one of us, look to you until our hearts are just satisfied in you. Lord, help us to be a people who are not seeking contentment in circumstances, but seeking contentment in the unchanging God who loves us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.